Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. As fires continue to burn around Australia, I'm doing a Take On Board mini-series about those industries and areas impacted by bushfires and climate change. Clearly, it's a timely topic for those of us who are witnessing the devastation in Australia. So today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Henrietta Rothschild about bushfires, climate change, emergencies and the impact that this has in the boardroom. As I mentioned last week, I was in Adelaide during the Christmas period. During that time, the Adelaide Hills experienced devastating fires. Two people died and others were injured. More than 80 homes were lost, as well as about 500 outbuildings, hundreds of vehicles and extensive losses of livestock, pets and massive crop damage and vineyard damage. In particular, about 1,100 hectares of the Adelaide Hills vineyards are believed to have been destroyed or badly damaged due to the fires, and this equates to around one-third of the area's grape production. So... I immediately thought of speaking with Henrietta about the impact of this sort of devastation and bushfires on the wine industry. She and I met when we did the company directors course together at the Australian Institute of Company Directors. She immediately impressed me as one of the smartest people in the room. She's a director of the Richmond Football Club, of Brown Brothers Millowall Winery, and she's also a former advisory board member of Circle Source and Victoria Police. Henrietta has more than a decade of success in challenging executive leadership roles across Australia, New Zealand, Japan and Korea and has a background in sales, commercial marketing, consulting and HR. She's passionate about working with great people to ensure organisations transform and perform. So Henrietta, for all of these reasons, that's why I'm welcoming you to the podcast today. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Thank you, Helia. Great to be here with you. Before we get into the topic, which... I cannot wait to have that conversation. But before we get there, you're on the board of two amazing organisations, Richmond Football Club and Brown Brothers. And as I say, whilst I'm itching to get into that conversation, can you just tell us a bit about how you ended up with such a fabulous portfolio? 
It's the envy of many, actually. I'm pretty pretty lucky. And they're both fantastic organisations for different reasons. So Brown Brothers is the wine uh, brand. Uh, we've renamed to Brown Family Wine Group for a couple of reasons that we can come to back to later. But for, with um, Brown Family, it was uh, very much a, a recruitment process approached by a recruitment agent that um, I'd known while I was looking for an executive role, in fact. And um, she was able to identify that a lot of the interests that I had, both in terms of organisations with great culture, an organisation that was looking to expand uh, internationally, particularly in Asia and so forth, and then the background in sales, marketing and also uh, people, there was a really strong fit. So it was a, a normal recruitment process where I didn't think I'd be successful and I was delighted beyond words when I was successful. With Richmond Football Club, it was actually through my consulting work many years ago where I was working at that point in time with the board and management at Richmond that had me getting very connected to the club and uh, becoming quite passionate about the work that they were doing and the um, the challenges that they were facing going back 10 years plus. Over time, I started volunteering on various committees, which is actually, I think, one of the really important things when you're thinking about going onto a board, is thinking about rather than just, I want to be straight on the board, are there committees, is there ways that you can contribute that then gets you familiar with the organisation and also allows the board members to become familiar with you. So that's mm-hmm. actually what happened with Richmond. Two things on that. Firstly, it is a fantastic example of using committees to find a board role. Mm. And secondly, what's it like to hold the cup? Oh, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, Because you've been um, on the board for both premierships in recent times, haven't you? Yes, exactly. And we're minor premiers between uh, in 2018. Mm. So I think uh, one of the absolute highlights of my life, which I probably never even thought about going onto the board. In fact, when I went onto the board, um, there had been quite a, a tough environment. Performance on the field hadn't been great, even though a lot of the all of the great things were going on behind the scenes mm. that probably wasn't known to the to the public, but um, I was familiar with because I'd been uh, involved with the club. So they were doing a lot of right things behind the scene, but it wasn't translating on the field. And so then going onto the board, expecting it would be really tough and there would be challenge after challenge and very angry stakeholders to be able to experience the 2017 win. And personally, as a board, as a group, walking onto the G just after the siren had gone, we sort of congregated at one point in time, hugs and high fives. And I had my phone over to, to one of the staff members and asked them to take a photo and that photo of the board arm in arm mm. uh, was just an absolute highlight and then yes touching the cup after that was pretty oh. pretty cool. <laughs> so for those that are not from Australia that are listening Henrietta is on, as I said on the board of Richmond Football Club who won the premiership in recent times anyway both in 2017 and 2019 and when did you join the board? At the start of um, 2017. Oh you are the lucky charm aren't you? That's right it's it's all about me nothing to do with team. <laughs> that was uh, tongue in <laughs> I'd love to have a conversation with you also about Richmond at some stage and some of the, I'm guessing, culture change that someone happened there and measuring how the board looks at culture and success and team performance. But that is not the conversation for for today. (laughs) So today, as I say, I was in Adelaide over the Christmas period. A friend who works in wineries was just sending videos constantly of vines burning and industries being impacted and not just his winery but others that were also being impacted and getting those direct messages just made me think, right, there are clearly some 
issues for boards to be taking attention of. Now, I'm not sure if Brown Family Wine Group has been directly impacted by the fires, but I'm, I'm interested to know either way, A, whether they've been directly impacted or indirectly impacted. But secondly, even if they're not directly impacted, what's been the discussion with your board over the last few weeks as the bushfire devastation has been unfolding? Look, I think with every crisis that happens, and and I have a favourite expression that many would use in different contexts, never waste a good crisis, it's always a really important time to reflect on on your practices and I think often times a crisis just brings into sharp relief what's already been an issue in the past. Now I would say the current bushfires and the preparation for those and and the reactions to those are things that most agribusinesses would be preparing for and thinking about at the best of times and, and over many many years so bushfires are nothing new to Australia. I would perhaps come back and talk more broadly about the many different things that are now on the agenda of the board Mm -hmm. that may not have made its way to the boardroom in the past because Mm -hmm. they would have been seen more as operational matters such as energy, water access, so forth. But Mm -hmm. talking specifically about the bushfires, obviously in an agribusiness there is just the first threat to the premises, to the uh, to the vineyards, but also to the products. So, for example, even if a bushfire may not wipe out either your your sheds or your Vineyards, smoke taint, for example, can have a a devastating impact on a whole vintage and water access that may be required elsewhere. All of Mm. those sorts of things start to play out. But I think during the actual moment when there are actual crises, as we're talking about at the moment, I guess most boards would, as always, rely heavily on management to keep them updated on risks that they perceive whether there's any immediate danger because safety for individuals always is first Mm -hmm. and foremost. So, for example, in this last while, the air quality up in the King Valley, there have been days where that's been particularly hazardous, where decisions were made by management to not have staff in the vineyards because of the risk to individuals. And obviously the board gets kept updated on the progress of fires, which in recent times have been a lot closer to some of the vineyards there. I mean, again, it wasn't quite so directly impacted on your business, but how does the board communicate in that period when things are happening? Is management emailing you and giving you updates about what's going on? Is there, I don't know, a WhatsApp group that people communicate through? How does the communication actually happen and what are the sorts of things that have been the biggest issues for you in the last couple of weeks? So in recent times, it's just a fairly formal update from management mm-hmm. um, the actual the chairman would be ringing around board members to ensure they're kept up to date and at sort of personal level and also pick up whether there are any particular questions or concerns that board members would have. Then we were given an update from the CEO that just talked about the current situation, impacts on any individuals in the business. The Brown family are a very strong people and family oriented business. So mm. the, the well being of staff and and staff's personal circumstances, obviously, is, is something that's updated. That wouldn't be the case in all boards, but um, mm. that is an important uh, factor with many long-term and very highly valued staff. Mm. We uh, would also be getting um, you know, updates on basically a, a list of risks perceived and mitigation on those risks. So as in any good governance, it is actually management that need to be running it. It's management that need to be bringing it to the board's attention and then the board needs to look at that and decide that that's sufficient, that they're happy with that, or indeed, you know, at times challenge to say, look, have we thought about this and have these other 
considerations. I think it's with any emergency situation, it is critically important that the board stays in role. Mm. Uh, and it absolutely makes it clear that management's running this and the board are overseeing it and only would intervene or challenge if there were some real risks that they didn't think that management had considered or were across. So I'm interested in hearing more about that and what you might have observed has changed over the last couple of years maybe around, well, there's two aspects to it really. One is what topics might be on the board agenda that weren't previously on the board agenda. Mm -hmm. And secondly, and related to that, that balance between what is operational and what is governance, what is management work, what is board work, how it might have impacted that sort of relationship and how the line might have moved. Yeah, and I think those two, they're they're interlinked, those questions, Mm. in many ways, based on my experience. So obviously the board's often looking at things that has a strong financial impact and decisions of a certain size and scale come to the board. Um, Decisions that are of a lower quantum would be met by management. And I think one of the things that we've seen, not just in agribusinesses, but particularly in agribusinesses, are that decisions that would typically based on financial impact, have sat with management, have escalated to the board. And three very real examples of those would be water, water costs and access, mm. energy. And I think that's whether you're in, a, in an agribusiness or not. Energy costs, so energy sustainability and sourcing are things that are making their way onto the board agenda. And the third one is insurance. Mm. Now, they're three things that in the past, particularly outside of agribusiness, would have been probably sitting with a procurement manager or CFO or someone at an operational level. But because of the rapid increase in costs, they're now having a very, very material impact on boards. And so therefore, I think it's really incumbent on a lot of boards to be aware of insurance costs and Also lack of coverage at times because insurers are very strongly impacted by these more extreme weather conditions. Mm. And there's a range of different factors driving just this astronomical increase in insurance costs across industries, whether it's more heavy regulation or in case that we've experienced here recently, just more intense and extreme weather patterns. Mm. So, you know, hail strikes much more likely to be happening regularly. Obviously, we're seeing the bushfires at the moment due to much drier conditions and and hotter conditions. Now, other areas more impacted by floods than they might have. So I think the impact on financials mean that there's different things on the agenda of the board that would typically have been sitting Mm. uh, with management. And a very practical question around insurance Bushfires, floods, hailstorms, are they considered acts of God by the insurance companies or are they insurable events? Uh, well, this is why it ends up often being on the on the board agenda because there's very real the strategic decision-making mm. required in deciding what you insure for and what you don't insure for based on the costs and capacity to actually pay for that. I think it depends on the level of insurance, it depends on your um, on the risk appetite of the board mm. uh, and it depends on, on the business. So th- there's a lot of variety but there's definitely more and more organisations we're hearing about that are needing to or choosing to self-insure for some of those things because the cost of insurance um, has become astronomical or, or untenable. And in some cases, insurers are actually refusing to insure because their risk profile needs to be mitigated. They're under pressure from their shareholders and the impact on organisations, agribusinesses particularly, where they might be, that might be more exposed to these more extreme weather conditions, mm. means that it is a decision about risk appetite. Are you prepared 
to not insure parts of your assets because the cost of doing so is cost prohibitive. That's why it ends up on the board agenda. Mm. I'm sure in the past, say, 10, 20 years, I don't know that insurances would have made it past the, the finance subcommittee because mm. it would have been one of the lines in the PL. Now it's actually a very strategic conversation and discussion in a lot of boards. And so, if I can ask, where does Brown Family Wine Group land in that insurance conversation? Uh, it's very much on the agenda. It's something that has been an ongoing conversation, both in terms of how much do you insure for, what is the likely risk, and so it is a a very real, very live conversation on risk appetite as a board and as an organisation. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, yeah, as you say, five years ago, ten years ago, these conversations just wouldn't have been happening and now they are part of it. Mm. So with some of those other topics that you talked about, energy, for example, and you mentioned some of it about accessibility and, and where your energy comes from and those sorts of things, but can you take us through as much as you can, some of the conversations around, say, energy and how that's changed in your boardroom and where where your board has landed on some of those issues? In many cases, these are now starting to come onto the board agenda because of the financial cost, but also because of the risk profile. So what we're seeing in a lot of businesses and, and Brown Family, now I think one of the things I should mention, Brown Family has assets across Tasmania and Victoria. Mm. Uh, so one of the ways in which, and we can come back to opportunities later, that they're m- managing some of this risk is by diversifying and having number of brands and vineyard assets across those geographies, which reduces your exposure because you're not um, reliant just on either one climate area or um, one, say, energy supplier, for example. One of the things, apart from costs, that has been a conversation is the sustainability of energy sourcing. For example, during vintage, there's a very high need in the in the winery for a very constant supply of energy. And what we have seen with these more extreme weather patterns and so forth is the risk of brownouts being much higher. And so therefore, again, from a risk perspective, thinking about how do you ensure that there is sustainable supply becomes an important conversation Again, largely driven by management, but overseen and challenged and questioned by the board. Increasingly also, I talked about the financial impact, but there is also a social impact. So one of the conversations that has been discussed in the strategic conversations are things like uh, microgrid and community solar and so forth, where if you're the largest organisation in a particular region, your ability to work with the community to set up community solar mm. uh, opportunities that both reduce your reliance on the grid and contribute something back as well, I think is an interesting conversation and it, it's something that has been going on with the operations team there. Mm. So sourcing of energy as much as use of energy and cost of energy are all things that I think are on the strategic agenda and they should be, I think, on many other organisations, whether they're agribusinesses or not. We've looked back at some of the issues and how the board agendas changed over that time. If we look the other way, look into the future, and I think we've touched on some of the issues that might change into the future, like energy, community, community renewable projects, whatever it may be. What else do you see changing in the future around some of these topics? And again, you've touched on it. What are some of the opportunities for organisations? With risk comes opportunity, as we know, and I think what has been a huge benefit to Brown family and something that I hold the organisation very, very high regard for is about 10 years ago they identified that vintages were getting earlier and they talked about whether it was climate change or global warming or whatever you like to call it, 
there is a very clear set of data that says that we're having hotter periods of, and therefore grapes are ripening earlier. So if they wanted to maintain the quality of grapes that they need to supply consumer demand, they needed to be finding vineyards outside of that immediate region that helped to diversify both the risk but also the the impacts are going to cooler climates. Mm. So at that point in time, they came up with their uh, two-degree strategy and not long after, um, some assets came up for sale in Tasmania, which they then acquired and that has been an absolutely fantastic acquisition. So Devil's Corner is one of those, um, Mm -hmm. which is um, set on Coles Bay. It's absolutely stunning, definitely worth a visit for anyone in the northeast of um, Tasmania. Tamar Ridge, another great one with some delicious Pinot Noirs and uh, so forth, and uh, Biri were all part of that acquisition. And a short while later, then uh, there was also Innocent Bystander up in Healesville. So by identifying the need to diversify because of the risk that was uh, being imposed, the business potentially sooner than they might otherwise have done Mm. have ended up acquiring some assets and, and diversifying away. What that's done is it's actually exposed them to some very, very popular varietals like Pinot Noir and um, Pinot Gris and Chardonnay Riesling, which has put them in a fantastic growth position. So that would be one example. Another one is that there's experimentation going on with CSIRO on different varietals that use less water. So there's some really good innovation that can come out of adapting to the situation rather than trying to ignore what's going on. So I think mm. that, again, is, is an opportunity outside of wineries, is, you know, agribusiness and others. How can you actually recognise the opportunities that the risk poses? A further way in which um, the need to adapt has sort of created innovation is that you see the production facility and the vineyard man- uh, managers um, actually looking at their approaches. So mulching for example and using different techniques that perhaps the very traditional techniques bringing those in to reduce water Mm. waste and innovating with methods some of which may actually create efficiency gains as well so not wasting the opportunity and making sure that management are really thinking about how do they adapt and how do they proactively then seize the opportunity to perhaps move into an adjacent area sooner so that it protects against the risk, but it actually creates some better opportunities in in terms of productivity, efficiencies and innovation. So it sounds like your organisation is incredibly proactive on these issues and innovative and future thinking. The Brown family are fantastic like that and I think everyone would say that we're not doing anywhere near enough all the time because I think you don't ever know fully what it will be. It's like any strategic planning. What you need to do is look at a number of scenarios, at more extreme scenarios mm-hmm. through to uh, more business-as-usual scenarios and have plans in place and ideas. And then when those opportunities come up or when those risks like the bushfires expose themselves, then you've at least had conversations before they happen so that you've got mm-hmm. some thoughts about how you might approach them. But I think every organisation would, would say they could be doing more in this regard. Mm. Well, again, recent events would certainly reminds us to have it on mm. the agenda, mm. uh, but it needs to be a constant, really, in thinking about the future and being proactive. And so thinking about that in a, in a practical sense, this future thinking, strategic thinking, how does that show up on the board agenda? Is there the annual board strategy day? Is it something that is a common theme through every board agenda and every conversation? How does it show up for you? 
Well, I think this is not just for Brown family, Richmond and others as well, but absolutely you, it's important to put aside a, at least a day, a year where you just talk about long-term strategy and, you know, beyond the years. But as a board, you're not doing your job if you don't have a very strong theme of strategy through every board meeting. So, for example, in Brown Family, we'd have the five-year plan and that would be reviewed, discussed, and various aspects of that would be on the agenda for every board meeting. I think making sure that you, as a board, are aligned on what those most pressing strategic priorities are and that's what the you know the annual strategy day helps to ensure that everyone is aligned on that, that the key topics are well known to everybody, and then that um, when the right time comes up, for example, if there are changes in, for example, the export market or, or impacts of climate or whatever, that the conversations you had that you initiated in those strategy sessions where you put things on the table but don't necessarily resolve them, mm. you then have that conversation at the right time during the normal course of board meetings. Mm. But uh, getting the balance between the very long term and the sort of short to medium term, I think, is the role of the chair and then the the role of the whole board to hold the chair to Mm. ensuring that agenda is sufficiently long term but pragmatic enough that you're making sound decisions and giving that sound support to management Mm. in your day-to-day meetings. We've had such a broad-ranging conversation around all sorts of different aspects around that risk and liability and how it impacts not just in wineries but some tips for others. What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation we've had today? Look, I think even if the board that you're on isn't directly exposed to agri, there are many changes in our environment right now that mean that the impact of climate has to be on the board agenda. So... You know, whether that is through the financial impact of increasing insurances, water, energy and some of those utilities. We haven't really talked about the political element, but that social licence to operate, I think, is an important one when uh, a lot of people are looking at organisations of how they're modelling the right choices um, when it comes to sustainability. And I think ensuring that you are prepared so that when a crisis does hit, you play in role. You allow management to manage and the board oversee from a risk perspective. And I think but the final point is always when there is change and when there is crisis, there's always opportunity. So don't lose sight of that and seize that. And the more you are able to bring that into your strategic agenda, it means that when it happens, you are better prepared to deal with it. I think the way that um, the board conversations over the last five years or so have continued to evolve to pick up on issues of of climate is actually in terms of that social licence to operate. Because while there might be arguments going on of, well, what difference does it make? You know, it might have 0.005 of of an impact. The reality is the community are concerned about issues of energy use, water use and waste. Um, So one of the things that we're definitely seeing in conversations is not just about the financial impacts, but also the social impacts of decisions that are being made by management and that will have ramifications on the perception of the organisation. So I think making some very sound decisions, both from a risk perspective, but importantly from a social licence to operate perspective, is increasingly on the agenda of of the board. And I know across a range of different organisations, many that you wouldn't necessarily think about it, people are talking about energy use and what the energy is sourced from, water use, not so much because of the cost, Um, financially, 
but because of the impact on the community and the perception of the community of being seen to waste those assets. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. In particular, uh, I don't think I said this at the top end, but Henrietta has let me barge in on her holiday, which happened to be close to my holiday. So we managed to actually catch up to record this podcast. So thank you for allowing me to do that. I will make sure I put links in the show notes, not just to Richmond Football Club, but also to Brown Brothers Family Wine Group. And also might, with your permission, link to some of those Adelaide wineries that have been impacted and encourage people to buy from there as well mm. to help them get back on their feet as well. Absolutely, because I think there's a lot of focus right now on the crisis. Having personally been impacted through family, friends by the Ash Wednesday bushfires, one of the mm. things that really that highlights for me is that there's a lot of flurry of activity in the month or so when it happens. The real work is three months, six months, nine months down the track. So helping those communities get back on their feet, supporting businesses, supporting that environment and continuing the ongoing work to to set people back on track, I think is actually where the real work comes in. So I couldn't agree more, ensuring that um, there's that support of businesses, whether it's from East Gippsland, Adelaide Hills or indeed any of the other places impacted through tourism and so forth. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.